Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Auburn Undercover and Inside the Auburn Tigers podcast. This is Keith Niebuhr with 24-7 Sports, and I'm joined by Mark Murphy and Jason Caldwell, a couple of guys that have a combined several decades of coverage uh, with the Auburn Tigers or relating to the Auburn Tigers. So they know this program inside and out, and they've been at all the, um, uh, the games for so many years and now they're covering press conferences via Zoom, which has got to be kind of crazy for these guys. But they know the program backwards and forwards, inside and out, and uh, thought it would be great to catch up with Mark and Jason on all the things that have been going on during preseason practice. Guys, thanks for, for joining us here. Let's start with the QB position. We know Bo Nix is QB1, as they say. He's the starter. He's coming off of a season in which he was the SEC freshman of the year, but who is going to be the number two guy? So let's get into that right now. Mark, what's your take on the quarterback situation right now and who you think has the inside track at the number two position? Keith, I think it's going to be Grant Loy, the transfer. And, uh, you know, he started college games. He's a big athletic quarterback in high school. He was a three-sport star. And uh, he's a guy that the coaches brought in for a reason because they think he's ready to play. And uh, if something happens to Bo Nix and he can't go, I think he's uh, option number two. You know, if my memory's correct, he's a pretty big kid, right? Isn't he? And doesn't he have pretty good size? Yeah, he's, yeah, he, he's yeah. big. He looks almost like a, a small forward or power forward in a basketball team. Uh, Jason, from what you've heard about Grant, what kinds of things can he bring to the table? Would he be a similar player to Bo Nix, or would he be something totally different? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's fairly similar to maybe a bigger guy. Like you said, he's you know he's six four, six five, you know two twenty five. This is a big kid. But he's a guy that was a runner. I mean, he ran the ball some and, and had some big plays in the running game, but he's also a strong arm passer. So I think they could do very similar things in the RPO, doing some of the things you're doing with Bo and do those things. And, you know, you know I'm not giving up on Cord Sandberg either, though. I thought he really got better at the end of the year last year, that second year playing college football. We know he can run. We know he's an athlete. So I think they've got three guys that they could do some things with. I mean, it's early, and he didn't have spring practice. Chael Garnett, true freshman, he enrolled early for the really the purpose of having that spring practice, getting that that experience under his belt, learning the offense. Unique situation where he was recruited by the former offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Kenny Dillingham, signed with Auburn, and now Auburn has a new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in Chad Morris. Obviously, Chad took over in December, but – any reports early on Chael Garnett? You know, obviously you guys have been doing this a long time. It, it takes a lot of time sometimes for these guys to really learn these things early and to get acclimated. Bo Nix was the exception, not the rule. What are you guys hearing, if anything, about Chael Garnett early on? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard anything about him specifically, but, you know, I did have a chance to watch him play um, last season at Lakeland High School. And, you know, the thing that jumps out to you is athleticism. He's a big physical kid with a strong arm. And so – I think you're right, though. I think the thing for him is, you know, he's not—he's going to get some steps, but not a ton, and those are going to dwindle down. 
they're going to have to have everybody prepared this season. But uh, I think for him, it's just a matter of kind of getting his feet wet and, and kind of trying to pick up the offense. Uh, speaking of freshmen, we go to the running backs position now. We're going to try to cover a bunch of positions over the next few days. But right now, specifically the running backs position, you lose Booby Whitlow, um, you know, a guy that had a pretty strong season last year. But you return DJ Williams, who did some nice things as a true freshman. Mark Anthony Richards is back. Uh, redshirted last year with an injury, but an ultra-talented back uh, from the West Palm Beach area, uh, a guy that can do a lot of things. And you also bring in Tank Bigsby as a true freshman who obviously can do a lot of uh, things and is, is highly talented as well. You also return some other guys, Harold Joyner, Sean Shivers. I mean, you know, people hardly ever seem to talk about Sean Shivers, and he had one of the most memorable plays in Iron Bowl history last year. So it looks like Auburn's in a good place at running back, but specifically the two freshman running backs, Mark Anthony Richards, and, and Tank Bigsby, Mark, are these guys going to play a lot? It seems like they are. You know, Gus Malzahn really likes Mark Anthony Richards. And, you know, he was extremely disappointed, Keith, that he couldn't play last year after, because he was hurt. And uh, he's a big guy. He can make people miss in open space. He's a guy who might end up being a kickoff returner for Auburn. And uh, he's probably big enough and strong enough to break tackles and Talking to some of the other players, they've been impressed with him. And Tank Bigsby uh, certainly is a guy that's got a great chance to play a lot this year. And, uh, you know, the big question to me, Keith and Jason, is just are they going to go with one guy as their main man or are they going to go with two guys or are they actually going to play three or four? Uh, my guess is it going to be two guys that get the bulk of the carries. You know, it used to be a situation where you wanted to feed your your top guy the ball more and more throughout the game, and, and they would get seemingly the best guys, the elite guys, the Bo Jacksons of the world would get better, and against the tired defense could break runs late. And now it seems like you're seeing more running back by committee. Guys have less mileage when they uh, – when they, you're ready to go off to the NFL. And at one point, Jason, you remember this, it was a big recruiting tool to tell a guy, hey, you're going to be able to get 12, 13, 14, 1,500 yards. Now it seems like high school running backs want to hear the opposite. They, a lot of them want to hear, hey, you're going to play a lot, but we're not going to wear you down. Uh, what, what's your take on this situation, uh, Jason? Is it, uh, can you have a three-headed running back? Can you have a – what's the you – know, can it be a good thing? Or is it uh, – you know, what what's your just overall feeling on that? I think when you talk about Chad Morris and you talk about what this offense wants to look like, I think it's going to be difficult to play more than a couple of backs because the, one of the keys for this is to keep guys on the field, to not huddle, to, to, to not have to substitute, to move guys around. We've heard the wide receivers talk about playing multiple positions, learning all the positions on the offense. I think having a running back that can can move around, can do some different things and stay on the field and, a, maybe most importantly, and, and you know, in a long time, we haven't seen it at Auburn, but a running back that's a bona fide wide receiving threat to catch the ball out of the backfield. And, you know, that's where a guy like Harold Joyner could step in, maybe play a key role. But, you know, Sean Shivers had a big catch and run in the last scrimmage. If Sean Shivers is catching the football out of the backfield combined with his explosive ability, he's a guy that I think is going to make it all. Does Sean Shivers, Jason, also give you the option of maybe playing him at, at slot receiver too? I think if, if his hands have gotten better, I think that's where a guy like Harold Joyner could move in, could, could line up in the slot. Mark Anthony Richards, I believe, has great hands as well. I think he's one of those guys that when you hear comparisons carry on Johnson, you think athlete. And so I think there's a few guys. To me, Harold Joyner's a guy that probably 
because he may have the best hands of anybody on the entire team, including Seth Williams, um, in terms of getting the ball thrown to him. I think he's a guy that you can move around some. Uh, Mark, you've probably uh, forgotten more about football <laughs> than I'll ever know. So I'm going to ask you a question here just about how defenses would then approach Auburn. In the past – the past several years, we haven't seen a lot of catches from the Auburn running backs. We also haven't seen a lot of catches from the Auburn tight ends. Now we're hearing you could see a lot of both potentially this year, tight ends and running backs. So what kind of a challenge, given that Auburn's got some strong receivers coming back, if if you're a defense and, and you're facing a Chad Morris offense at Auburn that now has added those two dimensions, how much more difficult does that make them to defend? Or is it, uh, you know, you tell me. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on the linebackers, Keith. If uh, the running backs do a lot of re- releases, you know, pass block or fake pass block for a count or two and then get out in the flat real quick and get hit with a short pass running north and south. I mean, that's very difficult to defend if, if the quarterback gets the ball out on time. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, that's definitely a big difference than, than what we've seen the last couple of years. And another thing I think is going to be different is I think they're going to keep one running back in there for a possession, at least while things are moving, moving along. And, you know, the whole college football offensive hurry up concept changed when they put that rule in the defense gets to make uh, a substitution after the offense makes a substitution. And a lot of defensive coaches got very smart. They take their sweet time about getting that sub in and takes away a lot of the impact of the, the hurry up, no huddle offenses. And uh, I didn't think Auburn did a good job of, of adjusting to that. And, I thought they became way too predictable the last couple of years based on the substitutions they were making personnel-wise. I think the defense had an idea what they were trying to do. And, you know, if Chad Morse does it right, they'll keep the same 11 guys out there. They'll have guys who can line up at multiple positions and be more difficult to figure out what they're going to do. Jason, I was watching, because I don't have much of a life, I was watching one of these old SEC games from the mid-1980s on YouTube. And it was a team, I won't say which one, uh, but it was a team that was rebuilding on its offensive line. They had lost all five starters, or excuse me, four of the five starters on the offensive line, and all of those four ended up starting games in the NFL. And they were facing a a dominant-type Miami defense early in the season. And one of the things they did was they attacked that defense by, by sending out the, the two running backs. And they were able to maximize that. It also took a lot of pressure off that young offensive line. So is that something not only – uh, tough to defend because Auburn has talented running backs and receivers and tight ends. We think that we think there's some talent. There's a uh, receiver talent at the, at the tight end position, but could that take some pressure off the a pass blocking uh, of a young, excuse me, of an untested offensive line? Can it help yeah, them? I, I think absolutely. It's something that you can use the quick game to the backs, uh, the tight ends, those things. And, you know, another added feature of that too, is if you start throwing the ball to the running backs on the perimeter, and Mark mentioned it puts pressure on the linebackers. What that does is it empties out the middle of the field. We've seen the middle of the field be there at times for Auburn the last few years. I think it's going to be more available this year than it's been in a long time. So you start throwing the ball to the running backs, and all of a sudden the middle of the field opens up. And, and Anthony Schwartz, those guys, uh, Eli Stove, Seth Williams, the tight end group, all of a sudden that gives them more freedom in the middle of the field uh, to maneuver. And so it puts pressure on the entire thing. But you're right. Ultimately, what it does is it, I think it helps out that offensive line. You're not having to hold the ball for, for four or five seconds. Uh, and, and just like every year, um, this is a team that wants to avoid third and long situations. And especially when you're looking at, like I said, an inexperienced offensive line group, 
um, the more you can can uh, can get some chunk yardage plays, the better off you are. All right, good segue to the offensive line. Jack Bicknell, first-year offensive line coach, uh, was previously at Ole Miss. Before that, coached in the NFL, was a head coach. I mean, starting center, which I think is the coolest thing ever, starting center on the Boston College team in the mid-'80s. I guess it was 85, if my memory's correct. 84 was 84, the, was, Flutie. Yes. Uh, yeah. The team that, that beat Miami on the pass from Flutie to Gerald Phelan down at the Orange Bowl, one of the most memorable college games. I know you guys were probably watching that live. I was. I was in Naples, Florida that weekend with my aunt and uncle. But uh, uh, Jack McNeil, what kind of impact uh, – and we'll start with you, Jason. I think you're the one that just wrote a story on this. What kind of impact has, has Jack McNeil had on these guys? And you've talked to some offensive linemen. I know you just spoke to Nick Brahms, the, Brahms, the starting center. What do they think of Jack? I think they really like his intensity that he brings to the table. And it's it's pretty interesting when you hear them talk about how he simplified things, but things they never never really thought of before. To me, that's one of the keys of this. You know, when you talk about teaching guys and having no spring practices, it almost brings you back to an NFL mentality. This is almost an NFL training camp, what Auburn's done. Having a guy that's familiar with coaching and teaching in that realm in the NFL could be a big advantage for Auburn because he's had to go through this before. Uh, so I think you look at it, to me, it's it's that, that NFL background ability to guys and get them there quickly because in the NFL, that's what you have to do with these rookies and young guys, get them up to speed in a hurry, figure out what they can do moving forward. So I think that's been probably the, one of the biggest things for him, that and moving guys around. They rotated guys constantly throughout camp to try to find – the best five because they didn't have spring. He's trying to take a look at, at different guys all over the field. Mark, with that offensive line, I mean, Nick Brahms penciled in at starting center, I'm assuming, but uh, the positions that everybody wants to know about on the offensive line are left tackle and right tackle. You lost your left tackle, Prince Tagawanago. He was drafted uh, by the Eagles. And then your right tackle, Jack Driscoll, also was drafted by the Eagles. What do you think right now, Mark, if you had to say right now today, who would be your left tackle and your right tackle starting out for Auburn? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Brodarius Ham at right tackle. And uh, I think he's good enough to probably go in and play guard too if, if they needed him. And I mean, you know, he's a guy that's worked extremely hard in the off season. He was probably good enough to have started last year at right tackle, but you know, Jack Driscoll, um, who started there the last couple of years, he made the roster of the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, I'm really happy for him. He's a, a smart guy. And, uh, you know, I just think uh, he's a guy that's got a chance to, uh, to, to be an all SEC type player this year. And uh, uh, like Jason said, I think they're really trying to figure out who the five best guys are, uh, best athletes to put them together and they'll be willing to move them around. And, uh, you know, I know Austin Troxel's a great athlete for a big guy at left tackle. The big question about him is, will that knee hold up? And uh, so far, so good in, in preseason. And uh, first time I saw him, I guess it was in the state championship game as a sophomore. And uh, I was really surprised at how quick he was for such a big, tall guy. And uh, he just dominated in that game. And uh, he's a, a hardworking kid, and I'm, I'm hoping he's going to have a breakout season. You really do have three amazing stories on that offensive line. I'm probably forgetting somebody. Austin Troxel, two torn ACLs in high school, a third at Auburn. Uh, Bradarius Ham, 
had cancer in high school, uh, not long after he uh, committed to Auburn, to be honest with you, and then uh, and then lost a child over the summer, uh, a tragic passing. And then Tashawn Manning, who very well could earn a starting spot, it sounds like, at guard also had cancer in high school. I remember spending Christmas Eve with his family down here in Central Florida in the uh, Wakiva area uh, as he was battling this. And he was down to guys, of, I'd say about 220 pounds, Tashawn Manning, big, massive kid, about 220 pounds. Uh, this the the drain on his family's faces having to go through everything, the medical expenses. First of all, wondering if your kid's going to live first and foremost, and then dealing with the medical expenses that went with it. And uh, you talk about two stressed out parents. And uh, so what a happy moment for, for them uh, it would be if Tashawn Manning can earn that starting spot. So good luck to all those guys. Just incredible stories. I mean, God, I mean, that's an ESPN Tom Rinaldi piano playing story if if they can get that done. But uh, next up, guys, the receiver position. Auburn's got some good guys back. Seth Williams, obviously, you know, an All-American type player. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, probably the fastest player in the country coming off of a big season, but more expected of him. And then you have Eli Stove, who is getting ready to play his final year at Auburn, came to Auburn with high expectations, had some injuries, has been a good, steady player for Auburn. But is this his breakout season, guys? Is this the season with all the attention on Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz that Eli Stove just goes out there and catches 50 passes? What's what's your take, Mark? Yeah, I think you could definitely catch 50 passes He's got a lot of a lot of receptions already, and uh, you know he's <clears throat> making a big comeback from his ACL surgery. And he's Keith. He's one of these kind of guys <clears throat> who's there before everybody else in the morning, six a.m., working out, doing all the extra stuff you need to do <clears throat> to come back from a knee injury. And he and Will Hastings were big buddies who worked out a lot together uh, last year, and uh, both coming back off of those injuries and. Uh, uh, he's a fifth-year senior. He's a smart guy. Um, his teammates like him a lot. And he's also a good runner. He's the guy who can run that inside reverse. He's probably eight or nine yards average for his career as a runner at Auburn. And uh, fortunately for, uh, for Eli and for the offense as a whole, he's a lot better than he was a year ago at this time. Okay, so I'm putting you on the spot here. But as far as one-two uh, one, combos go at the receiver position, where would you rank Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz in the SEC? Oh man, uh, you know, as, as far as one twos go, I mean, uh, they're they're up there to me with with you know the top of the list. I mean, look at, at the group at Alabama. Obviously, Demonte Smith and um, Waddle really good. Texas A and M has a, a a very strong one two punch as well. Uh, I would put you know Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz right up there, and especially considering that we don't know how different and how much that's going to how look with Chad Morris running the show. Uh, and, you know, we saw how much difference it could make in the season at LSU from 2018 to 2019. I don't think anybody's expecting Bo Nix to throw for 50 touchdowns next year or to have 3,000-yard receivers like LSU did. But just throwing the ball more, working on it, improving it, if you, if you take those steps with, with those two guys and with Eli Stove, then you got a chance to really do some big things, I think, at wide receiver. So I think they're right there with the guys and have a chance to, I think, have, you know, it's funny to say have breakout seasons, but um, with their ability throwing the football more, those guys could really uh, take their numbers to another level. Jason, you had an interesting story the other day with a headline that said this, with Kentucky looming, Auburn focuses on lines of scrimmage. And obviously, 
that's a crucial element to every football game. But Kentucky returns, and I'm going to let you go into the details here, they return a lot of talent up front on both sides of the ball. And, you know, you don't think of Kentucky teams historically as being among the more physical teams in the league, but they might be right now. So what kind of challenge? You know, this will be our one question kind of about the, the focus on the first game, which is still game week is still a couple weeks away. But what kind of challenge is Kentucky going to present to Auburn's offensive and defensive lines just in terms of preparation? I think you look at it probably from um, a standpoint of both lines of scrimmage. I don't know that there's anybody in the league that's that's better combined offensively and defensively on the line of scrimmage going into the season than Kentucky is. Um, you know, Alabama's offensive line is really good. Uh, Tennessee's offensive line is good. Kentucky's – I would say Kentucky's is probably top five or six in the country heading into this year when you return four starters on that offensive line. Uh, to do what they did last year – uh, obviously, Lynn Bowden Jr. Um, was a dynamic athlete at the running at that running quarterback position. But if your offensive line is not exceptional, you don't do what Kentucky did last year. Uh, and then defensively, when you look at, at the number of defensive linemen they put in the NFL the last few years, um, you know, they've they've had their share, and they got three starters back, including a massive guy that's going to be head up Nick Brahms uh, in the middle. This is a challenge, and it's one of the reasons why I thought that. Auburn among what you would consider the top half normally of, of the SEC year in and year out. I think Auburn got by far the toughest draw facing Kentucky right out the gate. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting how that worked out where uh, Auburn plays Georgia in week two. And both Auburn and Georgia have games against Kentucky and Arkansas this year. But Georgia drew Arkansas in week one uh, and, and Auburn drew Kentucky. And, and one of the interesting elements of that is now – Auburn's probably going to have to show a lot of its packages to win that game, whereas uh, Georgia may not to beat Arkansas. So, you know, whatever, we'll see. But, uh, Mark, one quick question here on the defensive line. we got to address this. Connus Miller's no longer on the team. Um, you know, heralded prospect. He really dominated down at Under Armour All-America game week, but never really fulfilled that potential at Auburn. And it, and it doesn't sound like it was pretty how it ended. But impact-wise uh, – Defensive tackle, man, that's a that's a priority position in the SEC. Where does Auburn stand at defensive tackle right now? Is it a big loss, a medium loss, and not that consequential? Where, how would you rate that? You know, if he played up to his potential, it would be a big loss, but I don't think he's ever played up to his potential in college. And, you know, you got to have a motor to be successful in the SEC because everybody's got good athletes and, uh, you know, you're just not going to be able to show up and be successful you know, this guy played a lot of snaps last year, Keith, and he barely had any tackles, any production whatsoever. So, you know, a, a big key up there is to Daquan Newkirk to stay healthy as a senior. And he's got a lot of ability. He's got a lot of want to. And I think Tyrone Truesdale is steadily improved, and he's going to be one of the better defensive tackles in the SEC this year. Just a, a physically country-strong type of guy that his teammates really respect and a guy linebackers love because, you know, he can require a double team inside uh, on running plays and frees them up to get in there. So they definitely uh, are probably going to play nine or 10 guy rotation on the front four. And uh, so it's a golden opportunity for a lot of guys to play, which is what Rodney Gardner prefers. Anyway, he likes to make sure there's guys fresh, late in the second quarter and late in the fourth quarter. 
All right, good stuff, guys. Let's talk a little bit about the football-only facility. Mark, you had a, a nice scoop a few weeks ago. Uh, they basically broken ground. I mean, yeah, but what's the latest on that? Where do things stand with Auburn's football-only facility? I mean, people ask us about it about every 15 minutes on the message boards and have for the last five years. Where do things stand today? Right now, the, uh, the uh, pre-construction phase is on. They've got a $3.9 million contract to um, get the site ready to build on. And uh, the old track is gone. The old tennis courts are gone. Uh, there's a lot of dirt that's already been moved. Uh, you know, nothing's finalized yet on, you know, going ahead and building it. But I think they're totally committed to it. The thing's been on a fast track for a long time. Uh, General Burgess uh, is the head of a committee. He's one of the main administrators on campus to make sure everything goes smoothly with that. And uh, I expect at the Board of Trustees meeting in November, there'll be some type of uh, uh, approval to move ahead with the project. It's got to be bid. The bids have got to come back um, at a, a reasonable price. But it might not be the worst time to bid right now, Keith, because, uh, because of the COVID situation, there's some big construction companies that type that would bid on this type of project that are hungry to get something like this going. So, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, they got lucky when they built the uh, Auburn Arena. The thing was, you know, estimated cost 90, 90 to 100 million and uh, thing came in way under, under what it was projected at 83 million. And then they even added a little bit more to it. And I think the total cost ended up being about 85 million. So uh, I'm curious to see how much this thing is gonna cost, you know, based on what other teams have been doing around the country. Uh, and what I think Auburn wants in its facility, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be somewhere in the range of uh, what Auburn Arena was uh, cost of the build. Uh, and I, and I got to correct myself. I said broken ground. I meant just on the project as a whole, not the, you know, whatever. Uh, but thanks for cl- a lot of ground. Keith. Well, there you go. Thanks for clarifying that. Now, Jason, the trick of building these things is what's current today, what's advanced today, maybe in five years isn't. So, by the time you get it done and it's 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 grade A, then two or three years later, your opponents are already upgrading theirs. So, you know, what are some things that you would like to see? You've been doing this a long time, Jason. You and I sit over at the athletic complex a lot waiting for interviews. If you were a, a, a guy who was in charge of a project like this, you know, and I and we've heard that obviously they want it to be as football centric as possible, but you got to have some bells and whistles. You got to have some recreational type things. What are some of the things that you think would benefit these young guys beyond the football aspects of it? Cause really it's for them. It's got to be about more than just, you know, today. Correct. I think, I think, you know, obviously there's some things that, that go into it. Obviously uh, the academic side of things where you're going to have computer labs, all that stuff, I think built into the facility. Uh, I think those are things that you have to do and, um, and then one thing I think that from a football standpoint, but it's a little different, I think, is, is I, I think the way this thing's headed, we've seen quarterbacks use it. Now baseball teams are using it, doing some kind of a virtual reality. I, I think you, you need to have a place for virtual reality to where you're able to practice because I think we're only going to see less and less contact moving forward. I don't think we're going to get to, to Navy where you, you just start, you know, hitting – dummies but I think do think it would allow you to then you know if a quarterback see pass rushes uh, other guys see blocking schemes do do some different things so I think building virtual reality into it would be big but 
Keith, I know one of the things we've talked about um, a good bit and is, it, you know, we're both big golfers. I, I think you're, you've been on target from this from the beginning. I think a simulator, golf simulator built in to give guys an outlet, but to also teach them a game that in the business world um, that could benefit them and going out in sales, all those things, I think that would be something that would be beneficial as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing comes together. It'll be funny, you know, someday, right now we're trying to visualize what it's going to look like in a few years. We'll almost forget what Auburn looked like without it. That's how fast these things become part of the, uh, you know, the, the scenery of a campus. But great stuff on the football program there, guys. Mark, let's turn to basketball real quick before we go. You've had a couple of great insiders over the last week or so. Uh, and, and the one you had, I guess, over the weekend, you talked about the seven returnees to the basketball program, to Bruce, Bruce Pearl's team. They lost a lot of guys. Samir Dowdy, Javon McCormick, Austin Wiley, Danielle Purifoy, uh, Anthony McLemore. Who is uh, Isaac Okoro? Who is really standing out so far during the off season among the returning players? You know, I think they're uh, they're really going to count on a lot of guys. Uh, they certainly need, you know, a guy like Wes Flanagan to, to step up. And, I mean, Alan Flanagan to step up, and uh, he's the only guy back that's really started games, and uh, he had his best game up at. Uh, Tennessee last game of the season he needs to be more aggressive both offensively and defensively I think you're going to see him take a leadership role team is really young Keith no seniors uh, no scholarship seniors at all Jamal Johnson is coming back as a junior he's Buck Johnson's son the former NBA player former Alabama star he's a really outstanding outside shooter the big question for him is he's got to get better on defense so he's not a liability out there on the court in that area. Um, and he's got to get a little bit better at getting his shots, just getting open for the shots. But he's a guy that's had a, a really good summer. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. He's got good size. And, uh, boy, when he spots up and shoots the ball, uh, things are going to go really well. Jalen Williams got off to a little bit of a slow start because he didn't get a lot of practice time when the players were home in the spring. But – you know, we saw what he could do last year. Uh, he's got good size, six seven, six seven and a half, left-handed, very aggressive player. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him move into the starting lineup and become a guy that regularly scores in double figures. Yeah, that was going to be my next question about scoring. Devin Cambridge had moments where he scored, but averaged 4.2 points a game. Alan Flanagan, 3.2 points a game. Jamal Johnson, 3.5 points a game. Terrell Jones, not much. Uh, Jalen Williams, 3.2 points a game. Is there a guy that or two that can really take that next step when it comes to scoring, and, and who would it be? I mean, sounds like Jalen Williams was one of the, those guys based on what you just said, but they're going to obviously you, – you know, you start looking at the roster, obviously there's some talented freshmen coming in, but you start thinking, okay, where are the points going to come from? So in your estimation of the returning starters – Maybe which two guys do you think are ready to take that leap or the coaching staff thinks are ready to take that leap in terms of scoring production? Well, you know, Turbo Jones is definitely a guy that was a big scorer in high school and a very good outside shooter. So they definitely need him to step up. But Javon McCormick, gone and Samir Dowdy guards, who scored a good bit. Um, they're going to need some guards to step up. And uh, certainly they're going to have some help from the recruiting class. 
from Sharif Cooper coming in as the point guard and a guy we expect to score a lot. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's still to be determined, you know, who's where the points are going to come from. And, uh, you know, they're just in the early parts of practice. They're in the off season. They can practice four hours a week um, with the whole team and four hours a week with the strength and conditioning coaches. And they're still waiting to figure out when the real preseason starts, when they can really get after it. Uh, they're probably mid-September before they'll hear from the Southeastern Conference. Not only when the first official preseason start date will be for regular preseason practices, but when the season's going to start this year. So, uh, you know, it could be delayed a good bit. So there's still a long way from uh, figuring all that stuff out. But what is interesting about this recruiting class, Keith, is they recruited one of everything. They got a point guard, got a two guard, they got a small forward, they got a power forward, and they got a center. And uh, Dylan Cardwell, uh, the late addition to the class, the true center, he's having a good preseason uh, out there this summer. And uh, he's a guy Jason and I have seen probably since he was ninth or 10th grade on the camp circuit out there. And uh, he was already a big kid then with a lot of potential. And he's gotten bigger and stronger. You know, he, he, you would think, uh, you know, on the surface, Dylan Cardwell not being able to play his senior year at McEachern in High School and outside of Atlanta because of some transfer issues, you'd think that would hurt. But these guys play so many AAU games during the offseason, I'm not sure it's even an impact anymore. Uh, Mark, in your, in your eyes here, you know, they lost a lot of good players. Uh, who would be the two? I mean, Akara obviously is going to be, you know, a top 10 pick, lottery pick. But the two guys that are going to be the hardest to replace, who do you think they'd be? I think it's Okoro and Samir Dowdy because Samir could get his own shot whenever he needed to. And uh, they're certainly going to miss Austin Wiley because he covered up for folks defensively. Um, plus, he was just a powerful guy around the basket. And he, a lot of times, if he got the ball down low, teams would have to get some help in there. And, you know, he could get the ball to somebody who was wide open for a shot. And he was also the second leading rebounder in the SEC, but with a stretch back, Babatunde Akinbola, I think they're going to have a – How did you good. say that? How did you, how did you pronounce that right? My God. Yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. He brings a lot of energy, and well, he blocks shots. He didn't play a lot of minutes last year, but, boy, he was a defensive threat when he was on the court. I don't think he's ever going to be a, a great scorer, but he's got a decent outside shooting touch, and he's getting better than that. But he's the kind of guy who can get a lot of garbage points, tip-ins, and pick up loose balls. And he's a quick, athletic guy. And he loves basketball. And he's the kind of guy who's going to be a good teammate. Mark, the basketball neophyte, like myself, you know, we think scoring, scoring, scoring. It's all – that's what you need to win. And, and people like me forget sometimes to, to think about defense. They got a young team. And defense is something that has sometimes has to be taught because it's so much about effort and all that stuff. So on the defensive end, what are you hearing? Will will they be ready for the rigors of the SEC on that on that end? What what is what's the greater concern, offense or defense, when you have a young team like this? You know, I think it's just trying to figure out what they've really got. I think they're gonna have like a good nine or ten man playing rotation. I think they should be solid defensively, solid offensively. Last year, they won with defense, first and foremost, and they committed themselves to doing that. Now, will they commit themselves to doing that again this year? You know, they had that motivation in 2019 
20 to go back to the Final Four because they really thought that uh, they had a team that could have won the national championship the previous season. And a lot of those key guys were back. Uh, uh, so I think this team um, will be solid defensively, solid offensively. But early in the season, they're going to have some growing pains, I believe. Uh, and I don't know what kind of schedule they're going to have either, Keith. Are they going to only play SEC teams? If that's the case, and you can jump right into an SEC season with your top six guys from last year's team gone, that's going to be a problem. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask one question about five-star signee Sharif Cooper, so we'll do that before getting out of here. You know, one of the most heralded prospects Auburn's ever signed. High score in, in high school. You know, as a junior, he was the Max Preps National Player of the Year, led McEachern to the state title. They lost a ton of guys, and he took them back to the Final Four the next year, scoring 28 or so points a game. But he's a little guy, and his coach always told me, Mark, that at Auburn, he's probably not going to be a high, high score. He's going to be more of a distributor. He sees the floor so well. I mean, it's really – talk about a guy that anticipates things – three seconds before they happen. But what's the early word on Sharif Cooper? I know everybody wants to know about that. i tell you what, he's going to be fun to watch. And, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Pearl knows how to play with a guard like that. Jared Harper was uh, ultra successful as a very undersized point guard. And uh, Bruce Pearl's had some other guys who are undersized point guards that uh, did very well. So, yeah, I think he's going to be a good distributor, but – I think they're going to need him to score this year. So I wouldn't be shocked to see this guy score double figures as an average for the season. Oh, wow. All right. Well, listen, great stuff, Mark Murphy and Jason Caldwell. Uh, I'm Keith Niebuhr. This was the Auburn Undercover and Inside the Auburn Tigers podcast. We appreciate everybody stopping by. Don't forget to check out the two months for $1 special right now at Auburn Undercover. And uh, that's it, guys. We'll do it again soon. Thanks so much. Enjoy it, Keith. Appreciate it.